welcome to Econ On The Go. In today's episode, we're gonna continue our exploration of the supply curve and why it slopes up. Last time we talked about production technology, this time we're gonna start talking about costs. So now we're gonna get the chief financial officer or the CFO involved in the firm's decisions, working with the COO to figure out how much it's going to cost to produce the goods and services that the firm wants to produce. The first thing we need to understand about costs are there are some different things that economists think about with regard to costs than accountants think about with regard to costs. And there are two important concepts that differ between economists and accountants. The first is opportunity costs. Opportunity costs are the greatest net benefit you could have realized if you did something else. Accountants generally ignore this, but economists care about this deeply because economists need to know what are the things you're giving up doing by making the choice you're making. And again, we believe that we are trying to maximize our net benefit of all the different options. And so we need to think about if we're choosing to do one thing, what are the things we're giving up that we can't do because we're committing to the first. Accountants generally don't think about opportunity costs because they're hard to calculate. You'd have to calculate every possible alternative option and find the one that has the greatest net benefit and then include that in the calculation of the income statement or the balance sheet, and that's just too hard to calculate. The other cost difference between accountants and economists are sunk costs. Sunk costs are expenses that must be paid regardless of future choices. So they typically are choices that you've made in the past, although they can also be costs that you have to incur in the future, regardless of what path you take going forward. These are expenses that accountants measure and put on the books, but economists typically ignore. And the reason economists ignore them is because they don't affect the decision going forward. If you're going to have to pay the sunk cost, whether you choose A or B, then that cost shouldn't affect whether A is a better choice than B because the cost is the same regardless. So think about paying an architect to draw up plans for a headquarters building. Whether you decide to build the building or not, you can't go back to the architect and say, can I have my money back because I decided not to build the building? You've paid the architect, you can't get that money back. It's a sunk cost. Or if you've committed to a contract, which you have to pay, whether you go ahead and need to use the contract or not, that's also a firm commitment in the future, which is a sunk cost. Again, accountants measure sunk costs, but not opportunity costs. And economists care about opportunity costs, but not sunk costs. The input prices we care about when we think about costs are aligned to the two types of inputs we talked about last time. We have labor and capital, labor is variable and capital is fixed. And we have the wage or W, which is the price of labor and R or the rental rate, which is the price of capital. Now the rental rate is a little bit hard to think about because wages we think of as, well, that's the wage I get for working. And so that makes sense for the price of labor. But the rental rate is not something we normally think about as something we pay. But you can think of it as, say, the interest payment on the debt that you have to take out to buy the capital equipment or the opportunity cost of borrowing money or what you could have used that money for investing uh, the interest that you give up on using that money to invest if you're going to do something else other than buy that piece of capital. So you think of the rental rate as like an interest rate and think of the wage as like a wage rate. 
The ISO cost line is the combination of ways firms can spend a fixed budget on L, labor, and K, capital. It is also drawn on a graph with K and L as the axes, K on the vertical axis, and L on the horizontal axis. And the slope of the ISO cost line is negative W over R, the wage rate over the rental rate. And it's negative because we can either spend all of our money on capital, all of our money on labor, which means we have two points on the axes. And when we connect those two points, we have a downward sloping line. How do we choose which L and K we want to put into our production system to produce outputs? Well, the way in which we believe firms make that choice is through maximization of profits. And in the short run, this is where we have the result that the price times DQDL equals the wage rate. Now, this comes from taking the profit function, which is revenue minus our variable costs minus our fixed costs, and taking that profit function and taking the derivative of it with respect to labor. Because in the short run, we can only vary labor. When we do that, the portion of fixed costs does not vary with labor. And so we have the revenue, which varies with labor because it affects how much output we can produce. That's the DQDL part. And then the labor in the profit function and the labor bill, the W times labor, is affected as we change labor. And that's just affected by how much the wage is for the incremental amounts of labor. And so when we do our math and change and rearrange things, we get the price times DQDL equals the wage rate. And remember, DQDL is the marginal product of labor. So we call the price times the marginal product of labor, the marginal revenue product. And we set this equal to the wage rate, which is the marginal cost or the incremental cost of hiring another unit of labor is the wage I have to pay to that worker. So I have the marginal revenue product, or sometimes called the value of the marginal product. I set that equal to the marginal cost. That's where I'm maximizing profits. And again, that's calculus behind there. But think about, again, the intuition, which is if that extra revenue I get from hiring one more worker is higher than the extra cost of hiring a worker, I should hire the worker. If the extra revenue I get from hiring a worker is less than the extra cost of hiring a worker, I should not hire that worker. And when the extra revenue I get from hiring a worker is exactly equal to the extra cost of hiring the worker, well, then I'm at the maximum. I'm not going up the mountain. I'm not going down the mountain. I'm at the top of the mountain. When we think about this marginal revenue product equals marginal cost, what it really means is we're aligning our external strategy, our revenue, the market-focused strategy, with our internal strategy or how we operationalize and how we produce things based on our costs. So this maximization of profits is about aligning the firm's external outward-looking strategy with its internally-looking strategy of how it produces the goods and services that it sells. In the short run, there is very little choice to optimize. If you have to produce a certain amount of output and capital is fixed, there's only one amount of labor that solves the production function. So costs really don't matter. In the long run, however, you want to set the marginal revenue product equal to the marginal cost for labor and the marginal revenue product of capital equal to the marginal cost of capital, which is the rental rate. And you want to do this simultaneously. As I use more labor and I add more labor, that's going to affect the productivity of capital. And as, as I add more capital, that's going to affect the productivity of labor. 
And so they're jointly affecting each other. And so I want to maximize them both at the same time. If I rearrange these equations where I have the marginal revenue product of labor equals the wage and the marginal revenue product of capital equals the rental rate. And again, I can have the marginal revenue product of capital because it's the long run. I can adjust capital. When I rearrange those equations, I get the minus of the marginal product of labor divided by the marginal product of capital equals negative W over R, which means that the productivity per dollar spent on labor has to equal the productivity per dollar spent on capital. And again, that should make sense from just a, an intuition point. If I spend a dollar on capital and that's more productive in terms of producing output than if I spent that same dollar on labor, I'd rather spend it on capital and get more output. Or if I don't want more output, I don't have to spend the entire dollar to get the extra output I need. If a dollar spent on capital is more productive than a dollar spent on labor, I want to spend more on capital and vice versa if a dollar spent on labor is more productive. And when they're exactly equal, when the productivity per dollar spent on labor is the same as the productivity per dollar spent on capital, then I can't switch between capital and labor and get more output or reduce my costs. And if we go back to that equation where the negative of MPL over MPK is the negative of W over R, what the left-hand side is, is negative MPL over MPK. Well, that's our marginal rate of technical substitution, which we talked about last time, or the slope of the isoquant line. And minus W over R is what we just said was the slope of the isocost line, which says the slope of the isoquant line drawn on the KL axis is equal to the slope of the isocost line drawn on the KL axis, which means they are tangent. And that's where we're maximizing profits. In the long run, we want to optimize where the ISO cost line is just touching the ISO quant line. That's the beginning of thinking about costs. I want to stop here. We're going to go on our next episode to talk about some additional things that have to do with costs. So join us when we discuss costs further in our next episode. <laughs>